Good morning. It is good to see everyone this morning, and uh, I'm Pastor Kevin, and I'm so thankful to be able to stand here to bring you God's Word this morning. And uh, I'm going to invite you to go to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, and we have been in a series called Tales of the Kingdom. We've been working through the parables and uh, in, in throughout the Gospels, Matthew and Luke specifically, and uh, last week we um, talked about the rich fool and the day that God required his soul, the night that God required his soul, and, and what a sobering message that was, not only to, to preach, prepare and preach, but to also deliver. And so I pray that that's still on your heart even this morning. And today, we will preach a message entitled, The Treasure of the Kingdom. The Treasure of the Kingdom. And we're going to read Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46. Please stand with me as we read the Word of God together. And here's what Jesus says. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Since I was a kid, I have loved treasure hunter movies. Treasure Island um, is one of them. The Goonies, that's another one. For you 80s fans, The Goonies, that's classic. Absolutely, Sean. The Goonies, National Treasure, now I'm creeping up in the generational spectrum here. National Treasure, I even wanted to scale Mount Rushmore to see if it was really true, but I, I didn't when I was there. Pirates of the Caribbean, and of course the most familiar to us, Indiana Jones, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the Temple of Doom, and the Last Crusade, and then the most recent ones as well. The whole idea of going on a quest to find some lost artifact or hidden treasure is exhilarating. In fact, it stirs even the youngest child among us to think and to imagine what that would be like. Perhaps, though, even better than stories of treasure hunting are treasures, are stories of treasures accidentally or unexpectedly discovered. I was reading this week of one woman, an older woman in France, who was selling her home, and she had an auctioneer come to appraise her belongings, and there was a picture that hung right above her stove that had been there since she lived in the house, she didn't know where she had gotten it, and it dated back to the 13th century. And it was a picture of Christ being mocked and was part of a series of ancient, uh, in this series of, of um, pictures or portraits or paintings, I should say. And nevertheless, it sold for $26.8 million. There was a Michigan man that bought property and he was given a rock by the owner that he purchased the land from. And so this rock the owner told him was it had, was a meteorite that he had found on the property. So the new owner took it and used it as a doorstop for 30 years. 30 years later, he decides that he'll go get it surveyed and finds out that it's worth 
Another guy was at a, um, he was at a, a flea market, and uh, he purchased an old painting, just an old random painting, for $4. And he got it home, and a couple of years later, he was just kind of looking at it, as we do sometimes, at, our, at the stuff we have on our walls. And uh, he noticed that there was a small tear on the canvas. And so he took it off, and he started looking at the tear. And as he began to kind of mess with it, he saw there was something behind it. And it turned out that right behind it was an old, rare copy of the Declaration of Independence, one of 500 of these that exist, and it sold for $2 million. I guess the point is, is that you never know what treasure might be right in front of you. Well, that brings us to the passage in front of us. Jesus tells two parables, and he compares the kingdom of heaven to treasure. In fact, the text says the kingdom of heaven is like, and that it is actually the series of several parables that he he gives where he explains he is comparing the kingdom of heaven to something. And so Jesus tells two parables that compare the kingdom of heaven to treasures with shocking value that are unexpectedly discovered. Now, it's helpful for us here in the beginning to remember what the kingdom of heaven is. And so if I was to give you a short version of what is the kingdom of heaven, I would simply say to you that the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We, we could also say that the kingdom of heaven is, it is salvation and everything that comes with entering and belonging to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And of course, what is fourth and foremost is, is that the king of the kingdom is Jesus himself. And so we need to, you really need to understand that the kingdom of heaven, to simply put it as simply as I can, it is salvation and the state of being in a right relationship with God through Christ. And so in essence, the kingdom of heaven is the king and his kingdom. And what Jesus is communicating here is that he and his kingdom is of infinite value. Even though that would have never, that would not have been recognized by many of the people that were standing there listening to him tell the parable, they would not have realized that he and his kingdom was in infinite value. But nonetheless, that is exactly what he was communicating and his disciples would have known it. And so the key kingdom truth that I want us to unpack from these three verses is simply this. Christ and the kingdom of heaven are a treasure worth everything you have. Christ and the kingdom of heaven are a treasure worth everything that you have. That is exactly what Jesus is driving at in this parable. And like those, like those treasures that I alluded to just a moment ago, and these people who did not realize the treasure that was actually right in front of them, we must realize the immeasurable worth and the eternal value of Christ and His kingdom. I would say, do we really understand the worth and value of Christ's kingdom? I think any believer in here would say yes, but not totally. I'm still getting it. And so maybe this morning for you as a believer, you'll get it a little bit more when you leave the day. And if you're an unbeliever today, I pray that you will walk out of this room and you will enter the kingdom of God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and renouncing everything that you hold and cling to as important in your life. 
There are three things that we will observe in these three verses. We're going to look at the great search, the great discovery, and the great cost of the treasure of the kingdom. Those are the three things that we're going to look at. And as we do, I pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts and and illuminate our minds to truly see the worth, the immeasurable worth of Christ. So let's look first at the great search. I say that because I would agree that perhaps there is a level of searching that goes on and then there's a level of searching that is not going on. But both characters represent, or at least they illustrate to us, the desire in the human soul for lasting meaning and happiness. The desire for something more, something ultimate. You, you have to see that, at least in implied, in the text itself. And so, human beings are looking but they are lost. Let's make sure we establish that. Human beings are looking, but they are lost. And all of us here today, at one point, we were lost. Either today you are lost, and you still have not found the meaning and the ultimate thing, which is Christ, that we've been created for, or you've been found by the grace of God, and your salvation is in Christ. But the reality is is that human beings are looking But they are lost. Ecclesiastes says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so when, when the, when the writer says that he has put eternity into man's heart, in other words, there is in man's heart this desire for something more, but because we're lost and we're fallen in our sin, we really are blind to what it is. That's why the French philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote this, and he says, there once was in man a true happiness of which now remain on him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate, because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. And the philosopher is right, only affirming what we already have seen that Scripture reveals. That in man is this emptiness, and therefore this desire for something, but he's lost and doesn't know what it is. And the reality is, is that people today try to fill that with all sorts of things, all sorts of sin, all sorts of addictions. Alcohol, or sexual sin, or, or, or money, or pleasure, or, or security, or safety, or success. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we're trying to fill that longing for, and we, we ultimately think that that's what the treasure of life is, only to be disappointed that it's really not. So the philosopher's correct. C.S. Lewis, in referring to this issue with what's going on inside of us, It's really what Jesus is revealing here is he's driving at what we desire. Both men desired something in this passage. But, and what I would say is, is desire in itself is not wicked. It's wayward. Desire itself is not wicked. It's wayward. I can desire this water. 
But if I become obsessed with it and I drink, I drink way too much of it, it can have an adverse effect on me. And that's what we do as human beings because of our sin. We even take good things, make them ultimate things, and then we get, we are spiritually sick from it because we commit idolatry. It's not the desire itself that in and of itself is wrong. Now some desires are clearly wrong. We would admit that and acknowledge that. And scripture's clear about that. But I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In other words, we as human beings are far too easily pleased with all the things of this life, ignoring the reality that there is an eternity before us and that there is a glorious God who has made us and that perhaps knowing Him will bring us greater joy than just enjoying things and trying to make some something of all of this that we're in just temporarily our desires need to be reset and that's what the kingdom this that's what this parable drives at they need to be reset on christ and his kingdom and only then will we will our restless souls be made right the psalmist says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart that does not mean that just you know like give god a hat tip and then he's just going to give you everything he wants he says no delight in your heart and you know what delight in the lord and do you know what'll happen to your desires they'll change They'll change. What Jesus is putting before them is something that will change their desires. And so in the parable, the men have desires that are exceeded by something else they find. Do you see it? They have desires, but their desires are exceeded by something else. Two quick observations here about their search. One is the man in the field stumbled unexpectedly unknowingly unexpectedly look at the text the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up and so the man in the field was most likely a hired hand or a land renter he was plowing the field of the owner for which he worked and he unexpectedly stumbled upon a treasure of extraordinary worth he was just going about his daily business the treasure was hidden and out of sight and in the ancient world, in the ancient world, people did not have online banking like we do, right? They didn't have electronic inscriptions where their money would be safe. They didn't have insurance that would guarantee if something happened to their wealth, they'd be okay. And so if you had jewels or you had gold or you had precious gems or valuable items, it was not uncommon to bury them because they would be safer in the ground than in your garage. They would be safer in the ground than in your garage where they could easily be found by thieves that were common or if there was war going on or conflict, someone to come in and then raid your house and take what you have, your your riches, your wealth. And so the man is plowing and he hits something. He digs it up and he's stunned. 
And so the text doesn't tell you what it is he found. It doesn't really give us a whole lot of details. I mean, this is like the shortest. You're, you're reading is thinking, you're going to get out of here in 10 minutes, I know. <laughs> but, but he hits something, he, he, he digs it up, and he, he then, when he realizes what it is, that he, whatever it is, whatever the stretcher is, he devises a quick plan, so his plan is, he'll put it back, he'll bury it again, he'll cover it up, and knowing that it doesn't belong to the owner, he will arrange to buy the entire field. And if he buys the field, what will he get? He'll get the treasure. So you can see there that he stumbled upon the treasure unexpectedly, unknowingly. But then notice the merchant on the sea, he searched zealously. The merchant searched zealously. Go down to verse 46. It says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. See the search? This man was most likely wealthy, a treasure hunter, who traveled around looking for fine pearls. And it's interesting because the Greek word for fine translates good. Most likely what he was looking for, I mean, being a, uh, having probably his own business, he was finding pearls that were useful for selling and making jewelry. That's what he's looking for. So he was looking for something that was good, something that would be probably considered a treasure and had some value. And so what does he do? He searched zealously, but he never anticipated he'd find a pearl of such exceptional value. Do you see it? It says, who on finding one pearl of great value. He didn't see that coming. And so you say, well, okay, so, so as we think about this, the search, right? He find, he searches zealously and the man in the field stumbled unexpectedly. Well, what do we derive for that? Well, it reminds us how people come into the kingdom. We come into the kingdom in different ways, all through the same Christ. Let me illustrate. The man in the field found the treasure accidentally. The merchant was searching for pearls. Some of you have testimonies where you were not interested in spiritual things. You weren't looking for Christ. You weren't reading the Bible. You weren't interested in church. But somehow God brought the gospel to you. Maybe it was something that happened. Maybe it was some event in your life. Maybe it was somebody, maybe that you were invited to attend a church event or something. But the point is, is that God somehow brought to you the gospel. I think in scripture, like Matthew the tax collector, remember when Jesus, Matthew wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus came looking for him. And in fact, I'm sure Matthew was stunned and shocked that Jesus was looking for him, given his role as a tax collector. Of course, what jumps into my mind is the salvation of Saul. Saul was not looking for Jesus. He was actually hunting Christians, but Jesus was looking for him. And there on the road to Damascus, Jesus found him and brought to him salvation and commissioned him to proclaim the gospel. See, see how, see how different that is? And, and so others though are different than that. Some people are not looking and then suddenly the gospel is brought to them. And other people are searching, but they're searching blindly in their sin. I want to be clear about that. Like blind men, they're searching in the dark, trying to find their way. 
I think of Zacchaeus. Remember him? When he heard that Jesus was coming to his city of Jericho, what did he do? He climbed up in the tree. He just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus because he heard all these things. Little did he know that that day in his search just to see Jesus, Jesus intended to go to his house. And Jesus stopped there in the crowd, looked up, and what did he say? Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house today, and I'm bringing salvation with me. Wow. I think Zacchaeus got far more than he bargained for. Wouldn't you agree? I think of young Timothy who grew up in the church, like many of you kids in here. You grew up in church. Many of us, as young, uh, many young adults, and I was going to call myself a young adult. I apologize. I'm not a young adult. Right? You grew up in the church. You heard the gospel. But you had no idea the treasure of the gospel that was right in front of you. Some of you have heard the gospel, heard the gospel, heard the gospel, but you've never really heard the gospel. It's never suddenly become to you the truth and treasure that it truly is. But then one day, some of you, you did, you heard it, you heard it, but then you heard it like boom, like an explosion. The Holy Spirit pulled off the blinders to your eyes and he opened your mind and heart to Christ. You knew of Christ, you didn't know Christ, but the day you were converted, you became saved and born again. And so in the end, what this search shows us is this. If you are a believer today, it is because of the miracle of God's grace It is not because of the competence of your search. Or for that matter, it's not because of the negligency of your search. If you're a believer today, it is because of the grace of God. These men could not look to themselves and praise themselves. Wow, I'm a great treasure hunter. Look what I found. The man in in the field certainly couldn't praise himself. He was just up digging up dirt, planting seed. But then he came across the treasure. There's no doubt that the reality is, is that we should be reminded that we have no one to praise if we are in the kingdom of God. If we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we have no one to praise except God and his sovereign grace. Do you realize how blessed you are if you are in the kingdom? Do you realize how blessed you are if you know the gospel and you have entered the kingdom by faith? And today, if you're here and you're hearing the gospel for the first time, you have treasure being put right in front of you. What will you do with it? How will you respond to it? And I say that to us because the reality is not everyone finds treasure. And many who do hear the gospel will not believe And I think we as a church should be reminded how grateful we should be that God has planted the truth in our hearts. And so that that search, this, this great search leads us to ask ourselves, or leads me to ask you, what do you seek and desire most? That's what it drives at. Because these men initially thought they were looking for something, but what they end up finding, they certainly weren't looking for that. So what do you seek? What do you desire most? Where are you looking? Because ultimately, only Christ and His kingdom can fulfill your ultimate search and desire of your fallen heart. That's the great search. 
But the great search unfolds into the great discovery. Look at the text. It says this in the verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field which a man found covered up. And then, look at this, in his joy, underline that. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then in the, the other parable, the, the, the pearl of great value, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl, look at, the, look at what it says, of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Look at the way that the treasure is described. The treasure for the man in the field, it brought him great joy. And the treasure for the merchant, it, what did it do? He realized that it was of great value. So not only did these two individuals find something, they realized the value of what they had found. So let's unpack that just for a second. The man in the field, what did he find? A hidden treasure of incredible worth. He realizes it. Notice, what prompts his action? What prompts his action is his amazement at the treasure. Don't miss that. It even tells you that. In his joy. Why does he go? Why does he sell? Why does he buy? Because he's filled with joy. What is his joy about? His, his accomplishment? No. His joy is over the treasure that he has found. The, the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible says that with joy over it. With joy over the treasure. He goes and sells everything. And so the treasure is what causes the joy. In other words, this man is in awe. He is enamored. He is stunned. He is astonished at the treasure that he has found. And then you have the merchant on the sea. What did the merchant discover? A precious pearl of infinite value. A precious pearl of infinite value. Remember, he was already searching for... Remember what I said? He was already searching for fine or good pearls. He was already looking for the best of the best. Follow me? But then he found one pearl. (laughs) One pearl that was of great value. And in the Greek, there is this, there, there is definitively this intended, this intended hyperbole. It is of infinite value. It was un, it was so unique. It was unlike any other pearl that he had ever found. He was searching for some that were good, but he found one that was glorious. He was wanting some to make a profit, but he found one that he would give up his profit in order to have it as his possession. Never in his life, in all of his searching, had he had found something as radiant and rich as this one. Do you know what the point is? Here's the point. Christ is that treasure. Christ is that treasure. Christ and his kingdom is that I mean, I mean, truthfully, Jesus is saying in this parable, I am the treasure. I am the pearl of great price. And he's saying, when you see this, you will find in me what you did not know you were looking for. That's what he's saying. 
I am the treasure, and in me you will find what you did not know you were looking for. Standing before them was the greatest gift for a guilty world. Standing before those hearing his voice was the cure for sin-sick humanity. The son of the living God. The alpha and the omega. The one who has no beginning and the one who has no end. That is who is standing in front of them giving this parable. Go back to verse 16 in Matthew 13. Go back. Look at your Bibles. For truly I say to you, No, verse 16, for blessed are your eyes. Do you realize how blessed you are? Jesus is saying, for blessed are your eyes, for they see. What do they see? They see him. And your ears, for they hear. What do they hear? They hear the king. I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see me. See what you see and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And still some of them could not see and some of them could not hear. That is in the crowd and among the religious people because they were so obsessed with their sin and with their self-righteousness. But what he's saying is, is that people, they, that the prophets long to see me. They did not know how blessed they were before them. The Son of God in human flesh, the one of promise, given by the prophets, sent by the Father from heaven. But you know, the disciples had seen his supreme worth. Right? Hadn't they? Well, let me give you an example. Remember when they were, on the, when they were in the boat and they were out on the sea and a storm brewed up? And do you remember what the disciples witnessed? They were afraid. And they came to him. And you know what Jesus said to them? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. What was the rebuke? Why are you afraid? Do you not see who's with you? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know that I am the I am? (laughs) And what did Jesus do? He stood on the bow of the boat and he spoke to the wind and the waves and he said, peace be still. And you know what the disciples did? They were stunned. You know why? Because they realized the treasure that was standing right in front of them. And the disciples said, who is this that the winds and sea would obey his voice? You remember the woman at the well? You remember when Jesus went out of his way to find her? And then they're at the well, he a Jew, she a Samaritan, and he says to her, hey, I want you to use your, use your bucket, use your cup, use your pitcher, and give me a drink of water. So the woman did it, and she is stunned. She is absolutely stunned that Jesus being a Jew would even associate with a, with a Samaritan who the Jews hated. And so, let alone that he would even drink from her cup. And so as this goes on, do you remember what Jesus said to her? Jesus said, if only you knew. Man, only if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would look at him and ask him to give you the living water that he has, and if and you will never thirst again. Right in front of her was the most glorious treasure, Jesus Christ himself. And the point that we're driving at is is this. Only in Jesus can you have salvation. And that salvation is complete. There is no treasure greater than Jesus. 
He is a Savior unlike any other Savior. He is the only Savior. There is no sin He will not forgive. There is no gift that He will withhold. And there is no promise that He will not keep. And there is no doubt or fear that you have that He cannot conquer through what He has done on the cross and through His resurrection. You know what the point is here? I mean, this, the, the point here is, is that if Jesus is the treasure, then he is to be supremely valued. I mean, that's the implication. That is the intent. If he is the treasure, you don't just yawn at a treasure. You treasure a treasure. You value it. And so, you know, for us, it's not enough just to know about him. It's not enough just to say, oh, I know Jesus. Right? And we say that as if he's just kind of like a, a rabbit's foot or some kind of lucky charm. No, no, it's, it's you must treasure him. We are to treasure him because of his infinite worth. And, and I love what John Piper says. He says this about saving faith. And, and, and this, this really digs into what saving faith is. Saving faith receives Christ as our treasure. Isn't that true? What we see here in the text? Piper says, a non-treasured Christ is a non-saving Christ. Faith has in it the element of valuing, embracing, prizing, relishing Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. The, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And he found the one pearl of great price. What Jesus is saying is, I am the pearl of great price. I am the treasure hidden in the field. And if you want salvation, treasure me and embrace me and you will enter into my kingdom. So Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Now I know some of you already went to Lord of the Rings, so just stop, okay? Yeah, right, because Gollum calls the, the ring precious. But do you know what the word precious means? of great value. Do you know what Peter is saying? Peter is saying to us who believe Christ is of great value. He's not just one more piece of my life puzzle. He is the whole puzzle itself. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, Paul says to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of, of God's mystery, which is what? It is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Hear me today. We must see the eternal worth of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you value it? Do you see the value of his eternal kingdom? All this stuff on earth is going away. And you know what? Here's how you know you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian not simply because you stopped doing a bunch of bad things. Because every Christian's still struggling to get away from bad things. You want to know the real litmus of whether or not you're a Christian? You love Christ. You treasure Him. You can't stop thinking about Him. Right? When you get married, isn't that what happens? You treasure the other. A husband is to cherish, treasure, value. The wife is to be the, 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 the one individual of supreme importance in the husband's life. 
And for the believer, Christ is the very one that we treasure. He's most important. We can't stop thinking about him. His person, his cross upon which he died for our sins, his resurrection, his enthronement, his return, his amazing promises, his eternal hope. And now, and, and now as you treasure him, you know what happens in your heart? Your desires change because you just want to serve him. Right? I mean, nobody gets married and it's like, well, you know, that's great. Check that box off. I think I'm going to go like, you know, spend the rest of my life out on the golf course and never see my wife again. No. It doesn't work that way. You treasure. And so the kingdom question that's pressed upon us this morning is this. What do you love and treasure most? Do you love Christ? That's the real question. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you treasure Jesus Christ? If you lost everything else that you hold dear in your heart today, would you still hold together because Christ is the treasure of your life? I'm not talking about, you know, is it we grieve, we sorrow, all those things. But the point is, is that we have Christ as the treasure. That was the great discovery of these men. But that leads us to the final observation, the great cost. The great cost. So we've looked at the great search, and the great search led us to the great discovery. What did the men do when they discovered the treasure? They valued it. But how do they prove their value? How how does the merchant and the man prove that they valued the treasure? Well, remember, the joy led to the action. The amazement led to the action. Look at the text. It says, then in his joy, what did he do? Three verbs. He goes, he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. See the actions? But the joy the treasure produced is what caused the actions. Look at the merchant, who in finding, verse 46, one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. He went, he sold he bought. See the actions? See the verbs? That's how we know that they truly valued what they found. And so what the man does, the men do is prove the value they placed on the treasure. And so let's just look at two things quickly. They sell everything they have. The man and the merchant sold everything. That's what the text says. The man in the field sold all his earthly possessions. Everything that he owned, he sold it because that's what was necessary for him to get the field and the treasure. Couldn't have the treasure without the field, so that's why he sold everything. The merchant sold all that he had, including what? His inventory. Right? All those fine pearls that he had? He sold all the fine pearls because he found the one. In other words, he wasn't holding on to the one fine pearl here and then keeping the other pearls behind his back. No. It's like that scene in Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. Remember when he's at the end? And he's hold, he's, he grabs onto his dad's hand and he's falling down into the crevice. And he's holding on and he reaches back. He's trying to grab the, he's trying to grab that cup. He's trying to grab that treasure. And finally his father says, Indiana, and then he grabs onto both hands. You can't hold on to one and reach behind and try to hold on to the other. The man sold all of the pearls that he had accumulated, his whole inventory, inventory. 
And so the point is, is that there is great cost to enter the kingdom. Now I want to be clear, that Jesus is not teaching that we can buy salvation or earn eternal life. You do not acquire God's grace by the bad things you avoid or, or by the good things that you do. Only through Christ's death for our sins and resurrection from the dead are we saved. And we receive that salvation and enter into the kingdom through faith in Him alone. Such saving faith turns us from sin and brings us to cling to Jesus. But here's the cost. Matthew 10 verse 37 says, Whoever loves father or mother or more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You pay nothing for salvation. But it will cost you everything. Because you can't trust on... You can't have Jesus and trust in your good works. You can't have Jesus and say, But I'm not going to repent of my sin. That's not how this works. It is that we put our faith in Christ, we turn from our sin, and we cling to Jesus as the treasure. And what is the result? Well, just that. They secured the greatest treasure. Now, I get it. They didn't secure that. I, I, you have to just go with me there on the alliteration. They secured the greatest treasure. They now have the greatest treasure. The man in the field gave up his earthly possessions. He parted with all things important to him. He found something more and would give up what it was necessary to get it. The merchant gave up the fine pearls, the things that, of great value, to have just one. Again, you can't treasure the one and hold the others. That one pearl became everything. Jesus is more important than everything else. Do you hear that? And ultimately, he is everything. Not, but, but not everyone thinks that, right? Listen, not everyone thinks that. Some people even today, you may be thinking, you know, well, all this stuff you're talking about, preacher, about giving up sin and repenting and denying oneself, what Jesus says about denying oneself, taking up a cross and forsaking the world, that doesn't sound very enjoyable. But if that's what you think, you're missing the point. And here's the point. What they gain is greater than what they gave up. Do you see it? What they gained is greater than what they gave up. In fact, the treasure is of such infinite worth that it makes what they give up to look like really just a small thing in comparison to what they get. In other words, believer, you get the better end of the deal. If you gain Christ, nothing in the world compares to having Him and being a part of His kingdom. I don't think any, either of these guys, after they, I don't think the, the, the man who sells the field, I don't think he goes back after he, after he sells everything and buys the field and the treasure. I don't think he then gets with the treasure and think, yeah, I, you know, I just wish I was back plowing field again. I don't think that happened at all. And the man who was the merchant, he wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for the profit. You know how we know that? Because once he found the pearl of great price, all those other good pearls, forget them. Don't need them. I just want to treasure this for all eternity. 
And that's what's happened to us as believers. Whatever you lose, whatever you give up, whatever you forfeit, whatever sin that is besetting you, whatever it is, listen to me, whatever it is that's keeping you, if you're here today and you're not a believer, whatever it is that's keeping you from entering the kingdom, I'm telling you, let it go because Jesus will be worth it all. And now what Paul said in Philippians 3, Pastor Dan and the worship team led us that earlier. But whatever gain I had, listen to Paul. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. My sin, the surpassing worth of Christ. Forget it. I want Christ. My selfish interests and desires in the surpassing worth of Christ. I want Christ. All the treasures and wealth and temporary pleasures of this this world compared to Christ, forget it. The surpassing worth of Christ and the heart of the true believer is what wins. For his sake, Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know what that was for Paul? All of his religious heritage all of his educational knowledge that he had gained of the law. He says, I count all of it as loss. I renounce it all. It has no meaning. It earns me nothing. It will not get me to heaven. I want Christ. And that's all I want. And so this morning, I ask you this question. What is Christ and his kingdom worth to you will you hold on to that sin that will weigh you down to hell or will you ask God to forgive you and repent and grab a hold of Christ will you live your whole life pursuing earthly things success money wealth prestige Or will you say, none of that matters. I want Christ. John Calvin said this. For those who seek this treasure trove of blessings of all kinds, in no one else can they be found than him. For all are given in Christ alone. I'm here to tell you, That everything you've been looking for will ultimately and only be found in Jesus Christ. Bono may still be trying to figure out what he's looking for. But the believer finds it in Jesus. Church, a great treasure has been set before you this morning through the word of God. Jesus Christ is the only lasting treasure of the soul. What will you do today? It does you no good to just hear a sermon. Like the man in the field, he had the, he had the own treasure, he had to own the treasure himself. Like the merchant, he had to possess the great pearl for himself. And you too must decide today, are you going to embrace Christ or are you going to leave today and go on to all the other things in front of you? You must know Christ savingly Turn from your sin immediately. And then you will be able to say, 
Christ and his kingdom is my treasure. Will you enter the kingdom today? Do you treasure and love Christ above everything else? What do you need to give up this morning? Be like the song says, I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may, bes- friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still will I enter in. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Would you come to him this morning? Let's stand and let's sing. I'm going to pray as we prepare to sing and respond. As we sing, this is an opportunity today. If you have never entered the kingdom, do not delay. I'll be up here in front. I'm happy to talk to you about salvation. And believer, maybe for you, it's just to worship the Lord. Maybe you want to come to the altar and just give thanks for the treasure that you have in Christ. But this is a time for us to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. Thank you that Christ is the treasure. May we who have been saved, may we see that more fully today. And those that are still searching, may you open their eyes to see that only Christ is what they need. And that they will, you will give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe and receive him and to love him and to treasure him. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.